Amen. Thank you for that wonderful music and for all the worship this morning. Take your Bibles, if you will, to the book of James. The book of James chapter number one. James chapter number one today. And uh, let me again say that uh, I am uh, grateful and thankful that you are here today. Uh, Today we are finishing our series of messages on um, I Love Sundays. Uh, I, I am amazed at how quickly... Uh, we have uh, reached the end of October, and uh, now we are going to be progressing into uh, the month of uh, November and uh, all of the excitement of the holidays and uh, uh, the changing of the leaves. Amen? I'm thankful to see them start to change. Um, and uh, I know some of you don't feel the same way because you know the cold is coming. Um, but uh, I, uh, I'm thankful for that, and uh, I'm thankful that we are entering into another season Uh, of what God is going to be doing uh, here at North Point. But today, um, I want to speak to you on a a subject that over the past couple of weeks has become very real to our church, um, and unfortunately in our communities, um, and that is that um, there is hope in the midst of difficult circumstances. Um, today I, I want to speak to you uh, uh, the idea of I love Sundays and the idea that Sundays give hope. And uh, I want you to know this morning that uh, as this has been a difficult few weeks in many of your lives and the lives of our community and uh, through all of the tragedy that has taken place and the heartache, that through all of that there still stands a beacon of hope in Jesus Christ. Nothing has happened that God does not know about. Nothing was a surprise to God. And uh, therefore, because of that, we have to take our eyes off of the circumstances and put them back on the hope. And uh, we can no longer linger on, on the, uh, and, and try to begin to question about what God is doing or what God has been doing. This is what I know, is that when, when, when things begin to happen, and, 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 and fortunately in tragedy and, and heartache and, and different things happening, uh, it tends to draw people closer to God. And I hope today that, that that is the case, is that we are not pushing God away, but we are inviting Him closer to us. And uh, so today I want you to know that Sundays bring hope. I want to propose to you, if I've done for the past five weeks, that Sunday is meant to be the best day of the week. It's not an option. It's not something that we just wake up and decide whether or not we want to be a part of. But rather that Sunday is supposed to be the most exciting and uh, the the, the greatest day of our week. It's something that we look forward to. I don't know about you, but I I got out of my bed this morning and my feet hit the floor. And the first thing that came to my mind was, I'm so thankful that I get to go worship with the people of God today. Because, you know what, in, in spite of everything that goes on, in spite of all the circumstances and any trials and things that you're going through this morning, in spite of all of that, we still have a hope in Jesus Christ that we come together to and for on a Sunday morning and we can be encouraged as we worship together and encourage one another through those trials. And so this morning, if you've walked in here this morning and you're struggling uh, uh, with something that's happened lately in your life, my prayer is, is that when you walk out of this place, that you no longer have that struggle, but just you've given it to the hope of Jesus Christ. And when we think about why Sundays were designed and given to us as Christians, one word comes to mind, is that is hope. Because of this hope, Sundays literally changed 
the world. Hope was given to us when Jesus Christ came as a baby. We're about to celebrate uh, his birth. It, it, it began at that moment. Uh, uh, and then that hope was activated when Jesus Christ went to the cross. And then hope began to spread at the inception of the church. And I want you to know that today, because we have that hope that lies within us, because we have that hope, it is our mandate, it is our responsibility to take that hope and to share it with everyone. Are you with me? To, to, to not bottle it up, to not say, well, it's just my hope. Because the truth is, is that that hope is what people need. Whenever tragedy strikes, whenever issues occur, whenever problems come, people need to know that there is hope. They need that. And so this morning, that's what we want to share with you. We are all looking for hope in our lives, especially when we are facing difficult circumstances. And today, I want us to take a few moments and find hope once again in the midst of our struggles. Take your Bibles, if you will, and stand with me. James chapter number one, very familiar passage of scripture. Uh, James chapter number one, we're going to read the first eight verses and uh, gather our thoughts for today. James chapter number one, beginning in verse number one, the Bible says, James, a servant of God and, the Lord, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brother, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, meaning uh, when trials come into your life, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh, what's the next word? Patience. In a few moments, I'm going to tell you that word is not what you think it means. And uh, uh, because I, a lot of times we say that the reason we're being tried is because we need to slow down and we need to gather patience. That is actually not the context of the scripture, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that give it to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Verse number 7. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Verse number 8. The Bible says, a double-minded man is unstable. In all his ways. Our Father in heaven, Lord, I pray that you'll bless the reading of your word. I pray that you'll bless the few moments that we have together. And Lord, I know, uh, and my heart is heavy this morning, I know that many, uh, based upon the many phone calls that I've received over the past couple weeks, and in-home visits, and different things, that there are people here this morning that are going through some great trials and some great struggles, and we've been faced in our community over the last couple weeks some terrible tragedies, and Lord, I want today nothing more than to help people to understand and, and allow the Holy Spirit of God to wrap his loving arms around everyone in this room and let them know that he loves them and he cares for them and he knows exactly where they are at in the midst of the trials that they're facing, and Lord, that there is hope and that hope only lies in you. Lord, we love you, but most of all, we thank you for loving us, for it's in your precious and holy son's name we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Most of us in this room this morning would say that our lives have too much stress. Would you agree with that statement? We've dealt with the stress issue uh, over the past couple weeks, and, and uh, the truth is, is we try to avoid and alleviate stress at all costs. 
But it seems like in our day and age, and, and I'm sure it was like this in every generation, but it just seems like in our day and age that once uh, uh, stress begins to relieve itself and it seems like the pressure is beginning to fall away, all of a sudden we turn and we get a phone call or we get a text or, or we get some type of information at work and, and the stress level once again increases and we try to alleviate it and we try to remove it. And, uh, and, and this morning I believe that the only way that we can do that through our trials and through our circumstances is by literally and, and no longer allowing it to be just a statement, no longer allowing it just to be words that we speak, but actually taking our cares and casting them to the Lord. Uh, uh, because he careth for us. I talked to you about that a couple of weeks ago, that I love that word, that it's casting, that, that fishing term, where literally you, you cast it to the Lord. It's, it, it's so far away from you that, 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 that it's given to him so that he can take care of it. Yet this morning we will see, and, and this is what I want you to understand because this is the question that over the past two weeks has been posed to me more in the past two weeks than all of the ministry that I've been involved in in all of my life. Uh, uh, this morning we see that occasionally God will, what's the next word? Allow. That God will allow stress or trials into our lives to further develop our faith and our walk with him. I want you to know this morning that God knows if you're in the midst of a difficult circumstance. And I also want you to know, as hard it is for me to say, but the truth is, is that God very well may have allowed it. And you say, Pastor, but God loves me and he cares for me. And, he, and, and, and certainly he wouldn't allow tragedy or stress or, or, or circumstances to happen in my life. I would say to you, that is not the case. Because I believe with all my heart that as we see here in the book of James, that sometimes God allows those things in our life so that he can draw us closer to him. And so that we can be more faithful and we can be more of a help to others that come behind us. Many times, over the, and, and I know I keep referring to the last couple of weeks, and, 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 but many times people have called and asked and said things to me over the past couple of weeks. I've just said, Pastor, why would God allow this to happen? And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know. But I do know that he's sovereign. I do know that he's faithful. And I do know that he still knows what's going on. He knows. He knows everything that's happening. And, and, and he's not mad at you. He's not upset at you. He just wants you to grow. He just wants you to look at the circumstance and say, listen, I know that God's got this situation and I'm going to trust him even if I don't understand it. And so it's to develop our faith. I love this analogy. A typical concert piano has 240 strings that when tuned and when tightened create a pull of 40,000 pounds on the frame. But did you know without tension there would be no beautiful music? Without the tension there would be no beautiful music. And I believe with all my heart that that's exactly the way it is in the Christian life. Sometimes it seems like things get tight. Sometimes we wonder, we always like to claim that verse, oh, God won't give me too much that I can't handle. Can I tell you that's the truth, but God knows how much you can handle. And sometimes he's got to tighten those strings a little bit more to make what he wants and, and allow and accomplish what he wants to happen in your life. 
to happen. If you're in the habit of taking notes, there's a, a, an outline on the back of your bulletin. Number one, the reason for the trial. The reason for the trial. You stay with me this morning. I promise you I won't be long. James chapter number one, verse number one. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, count it all, what's the next word? Joy. Count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations or testing, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh Patience. Someone once said this. They said our most significant opportunities will be found in the times of greatest difficulty. Our most significant opportunities will be found in the times of greatest difficulty. I know that to be true. I know that uh, when, when tragedy and, and, and heartache and, and trials begin to happen in people's lives... They begin seeking. They begin trying to find the Lord. They begin trying to, uh, trying to seek out answers. And in their greatest uh, uh, opportunities will come in the greatest difficulties in their life. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that all things work together for good. Do you see this? We love the first part of this verse, but I think we forget to get past that good part. And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love who? God, there's a prerequisite there. There's not only that, to them we are called according to his purpose. You say, Pastor, so that leaves some of us out because not all of us are called. If you're saved here today, you're called. It's your choice whether or not you decide to do his purpose. You see, uh, uh, what you have to do is you have to love the Lord, and in loving him, you have to serve him. And in all of that, we know that all things work together for good. They all work together. This is important. How many of you like putting puzzles together? Anybody like putting puzzles together? Okay. My grandmother, she loved putting puzzles together. I didn't get it. It'd be all over the table, all the pieces, and I just didn't get it. But when she was all done with it, it was an amazing masterpiece. Because you know why? As she put each piece on, they all worked together. We look at our lives and we say, oh, my life is falling apart around me. Circumstances are happening and it's all oh, just, just going crazy and I don't understand it. Listen to me. Stop looking at the circumstance and look at it all together. Because it will all work together for good to them that love the Lord. Letter A, the reason for our trial, first of all, the development of our faith. The Bible says the trying of your faith. It's a development period. It's the development of our faith. We are either, and I really want you to get this, we are either going through life or we are growing through life. We are either just taking life one day at a time or we are growing through our circumstances. So we're either going or we're growing. Life is a journey to our final destination. And in our journey, we should be growing and developing into what God desires for us to be. We're either growing or we're growing. It's our choice. I want you to know that God has not promised to make me comfortable, but he's promised to make me conformable. Many of us just want to live a comfortable Christian life. Many of us just want everything to, to, to be good. Listen, nowhere in my Bible does it say the day that I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, that my life was just going to be, everything was just going to turn out okay. 
It didn't say that my life was going to be a bed of roses. It's never said that, think, that nothing terrible was ever going to happen to me. As a matter of fact, what it says is, think it not strange, the fiery trials which are to try you, for as much as you know that you are partakers in Christ's suffering. He says, hey, uh, uh, listen, you're going to have trials. You're going to have circumstances in your life because I am trying to not make you comfortable. I am trying to conform you. What is he trying to conform us to? Romans chapter 8, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his what? Son. Why? That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He is conforming us to his son. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, the Lord's mercy often rides to the door of our heart upon the black horse of affliction. And I think that's so true. That in the midst of our circumstances, there's mercy. There it is. It's mercy. And I want you to know this morning that God, we serve a merciful God. We serve a, a God that is full of grace and full of mercy. And you might have came in today and you might have said, listen, uh, I, I just don't feel like God even knows my name anymore. I don't even know if God knows where I'm at anymore because of what I'm going through. As a matter of fact, I, I, don't, I, I think God just kind of kicked me to the curb. I don't even think he's there in my life anymore. Listen, God is right there. God does not move. He is the same yesterday. He's the same today. He's the same forever. And all God's doing is he's just waiting to perform a miracle. He's waiting for it to happen in your life. What we have to do is we have to stop running from our situation. Are you listening to me? We have to stop running from our situation. And we have to start being still. And know that I am God. That's his mercy. Not only that, the display of our faith. It worketh patience. It worketh patience. When I first started in the ministry, I was in my office and uh, sitting at my desk, if you looked right above my desk, it said this, Lord, grant me patience, but hurry. You know, <laughs> uh, we, we all are, are trying to figure out this patience idea and, and how we can have more patience or, 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 or Lord, if you will help me through this circumstance, it, it will give me patience. But the truth is, is that the reason for our trial is to display our faith. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Why? Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. It worketh patience. Now this is what I want you to see. The word patience in this passage of scripture does not mean what you think it means. It means endurance. It means endurance. Let's, let's read that passage again together with that in thought. Here it comes. In verse number three, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh endurance. It worketh endurance. Now, I know many of you here are runners. You like to enjoy running. Um, the only time I find it necessary to run is in between commercials. No. Um, running. You like to get out there and run and, ha and, and enjoy the, the green belt and other places. And, and the longer you run and the more that you work, the more endurance that you have. 
I see some of you, you started out like a mile and a half, and the next thing I know, you're in a triathlon. What has happened? You've gotten endurance. That's what trials will do for you. Listen to me, though, because it's very important. The Bible says that, that the, the trying of your faith worketh endurance. This is what we have to do, just like a runner. Whenever it gets difficult, whenever, things, whenever we have problems, whenever it seems like our world is falling apart, we cannot sit down on the bench. We have to keep running. Listen, if you're in this room and you like to run, you know that it's painful at times. It hurts at times. It's difficult at times. But if you can get over that fact, if you can work through that, then you know there's victory on the other side of it. The same way it is in our trials. If we can just push through, if we can push through the pain, if we can push through the circumstance, push through the issue, if we get to the other side, there stands Jesus Christ with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords with the medal that says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I want to be patient. I want to endure through those trials. You remember the story of Joseph in the word of God. Joseph was 17 when his brothers attempted to kill him. 13 years later, at 30 years old, he was the most powerful man in the world. What did Joseph do? He endured the trial. Man, I tell you, you study the life of Joseph, you'll find out there's a man that could have given up. There's a man who could have said, you know what, it's not worth it. I'm being falsely accused. I'm being thrown into a pit. I'm being sold into slavery. I'm being put in jail for nothing that I did wrong. And then he became the most powerful man in the world. I think Joseph's life is a correlation of Jesus Christ. Here Jesus was born in the lowliest of places, didn't do anything wrong. He he was a man without sin, yet they beat him and they scourged him and they turned their back on him. And there he went to the cross. And I'm telling you this morning that when he was on that cross, he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have said, I can't do this. He could have said, I I, I don't want to die for the world. This is too painful. This is too hard. No, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Then the Bible says he gave up the ghost. Then he went into that grave. He could have stayed in that grave. We're talking about uh, about God himself could do anything he wanted to. He could have stayed in that grave, but no. You know what he did? He got busy. He went down. He got the keys of death and hell. And the Bible says on the third day, he arose victoriously. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us. What happened to Jesus? He endured the trial. What happened to Joseph? He endured the trial. And I'm telling you, in your own life today, there is no difference between you and Joseph. The only difference is is what you do with the circumstances in which you are given. Genesis chapter 50. I love this. Joseph, the, the story of Joseph, he says, But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. Here, you ready? To bring to pass, look, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Why does God do this to me, pastor? 
Why does God allow these things in my life? Because there might be someone around the corner who needs to see a faith that is displayed so they can have a, a hope of eternity by seeing Jesus Christ through your difficulty to save much people alive. The world is looking for people, I love this, whose faith is not only spoken, but also proven. It's not spoken, it's proven. They live it out. At the trial of your faith, First Peter tells us, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, may be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Number two, and I'm going to be quick, the route of your trial. The route of your trial. Look at verse number four with me. The route of your trial. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. That you may be perfect, there it is, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Warren Rearsby said it this way, life's trials are not easy, but in God's will each has a purpose. Often he uses them to enlarge you. To enlarge you, to make your faith grow. First of all, the route of surrender. A route of surrender. When we have trials in our lives, there ha we have to come to a place that we eventually surrender. That we surrender that moment. Unfortunately, heartbreak and difficulty are just a part of life. And at the moment that we hear about it, or the moment that we're involved in it, we begin to absorb the situation. Not only do we begin to absorb it, but emotionally, we begin to calculate it within our own selves. And we begin to, to, to tap into emotions. Some of it might be crying, some of it may be anger, some of it may be uh, 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 frustration, some of it may be jealousy, some of, all kinds of emotions that we deal with whenever things come into our lives. But there has to be a moment, and it should happen very soon after the trial begins in your life, that we begin to surrender our emotions, and we begin to surrender the trial, and we begin to surrender the, the circumstance and give it to God. Because I'm telling you, he is the only person that has, the only one that has the solution. A route of surrender. First Peter chapter 5, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. John Newton, he says it this way, a measure of trials is necessary for the exercise and manifestation of, grace, of your graces to give you more convincing of a proof of the truth and sweetness of the promises made to a time of affliction. Listen, to mortify the body of sin, you see that? And to wean you more effect, uh, effectually uh, from the world. In other words, it is to get me away from the world, away from the sin, and draw me closer to God. That's what John Newton said trials are made for. So what do we surrender? First of all, we have to surrender our past. We've been talking a lot about our past here lately. And, uh, uh, but the, the route of surrender starts with your past. You cannot live life looking in the rearview mirror. You cannot live your life looking at your past. Look at me right here, please, for just a moment. God and you can do nothing about your past. But God and you can do everything about today and tomorrow. 
The only person that is bothering you about your past is you and the enemy. And so what you got to do is you got to release the enemy and say, no, you are not going to have victory in my life over this because I'm not living in my past. I'm living today and I'm living for tomorrow. Yeah, you got to surrender your past. Listen, don't ruin your future by living in the past. Don't do it. Don't ruin your future by living in your past. Uh, Philippians 3.13, I know I've, I've shared this with you much lately, but brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. That's what we're to do. Someone once said, and, and I, I love this, this thought, you can clutch the past so tightly to your chest that it leaves your arms too full to embrace the present. You can be so attached to the past that you have no way to embrace the present. And let me tell you something today. If you're living in light of your past, if you're living in light of circumstances that have happened in your past, you are, the only people that you are hurting is you are hurting yourself and you're literally hurting those around you because you will affect them as well. Listen, people do not need to see the gloom of the past. They need to see the hope of the future. That's what we need. First of all, we have to surrender our past. Second, we have to surrender our present. We have to give it to God and say, He is in control of my life today. I love Philippians chapter number four. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things, what's the first one? That are true. You know what's present or what's true is the present. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good. You see this? Report. I look at that whole list right there and I do not see anything that says whatsoever things are negative. I don't see in there whatsoever things are in my past. What I see in there are, are, are current situations. And then he says this, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise... Think on these things. You know what I say? I say fill your mind with this and get rid of the rest. Fill your mind with this. And we often stop there. We're like, that's a great verse. That's good. We'll stop there. No, there's another one right behind it. Look what it says. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard. Are you seeing this? And seen in me. Do. Do it. It's like the Nike slogan. Just do it. You know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a command. It's, a, it's saying, hey, listen, uh, just think on the purity thoughts. Just think on the things of God. Why? And the God of peace, oh, this is real important, shall. It is going to happen. It is imperative that it must happen shall be with you. Boy, I hear people say that all the time, especially over the, the, the trials and the circumstances that's happened lately. Pastor, I just want the peace of God. Well, listen, there's the formula. Philippians chapter number four, find the formula and just put it into action. You know, my son, he's in eighth grade. That was for all of his friends over there. Uh, he's in eighth grade. He'll bring home homework, you know, math problems. And he'll say, Dad, some of these are impossible. 
You ever heard that? Or is it just my son? No, you've heard it. The teacher has made a mistake. You cannot solve this problem. I look at it and I'll say, yes, the teacher made a mistake. No. Um, But then you get the formula out, right? And you begin to learn what the formula is. And when you apply the formula, you get the right answer. As a matter of fact, most of the time, if you put the formula into play, you get the right answer every single time. God has given us formulas so that we can get it right. The problem is, is that we don't pick up the formula book. And we don't begin to apply it to our lives. You want the peace of God? Just apply the formula. And then surrender your future. Surrender your future. Worry is the result of calculations made without God in the equation. It doesn't matter how great the pressure is. What really matters is where the pressure lies. Be sure that it doesn't come between you and the Savior. Just give him your future. Hebrews chapter number 4. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of affirmities, but was in all points tempted or tested like as we are, yet without sin. And then verse number 16 says, let us therefore come boldly. Boldly unto the throne of grace. Why? That we may obtain that mercy and find grace to help in time of what? Need. That's what we need to do. It's a route, not only, it's a route of strengthening. It's to strengthen us. Verse 4 tells us that you may be perfect. This is a method of strengthening us as Christians so that we can face the next adversity and allow the Lord to work in our lives even more. Look at me today, church. you're going through a circumstance today can I tell you this will not be your last one you say pastor well that's not any fun I get it but it won't be our last one but listen to me if we learn the formula now when we go through the next one it may just be a little bit easier it may be that we can be able to understand it a little better. It may be that, that we can uh, allow ourselves to go through this trial realizing that God is trying to do something in my life. I get frustrated sometimes, and I'm just going to be honest with you as a pastor. People will say to me, what did I do wrong? Why is God mad at me, pastor? Why, why is God doing this to my life? I'm, I, I'm giving, Pastor. I am. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying, Pastor. I'm doing that. I'm coming to church. I, I, I'm, I'm doing everything that, that I, I think that God wants me to do. Why in the world is God picking on me? Why is God allowing this to come? And not only is he allowing one thing to come, he's piling it up and piling it up and piling it up. Why is he doing that? That ye may be perfect. Because I'm telling you this morning, as we've been studying in the book of Revelation, we are overcomers. We are overcomers through the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. We just have to give it 
to him. First Peter chapter 5, but the God of all grace who has called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After that, he had suffered a while, make you perfect. Here it is, you ready? The Lord gave us an outline. I love it. Perfect, established, strengthened. What's the last word? Settle? Wait a minute. I can be settled in my circumstances? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You ever been to a, a home that was built and it begins to settle? Sometimes there's cracks. Sometimes things don't line up like they used to. Sometimes there might be a, a hole in the wall because it, it settled the wrong way. And I tell you, in our lives, as the Lord is settling us, sometimes cracks might happen. Sometimes there might be a hole in our life. Sometimes God may take something away from us. Sometimes God may put a permanent something in our lives. Can I tell you, that all he's trying to do is establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. I love the old children's song. Some of you here probably know it. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Remember that? And he's going to keep working on me until he takes me to heaven. And he's going to keep working on you. The result of your trial, and I'm done. If any of you lack wisdom, verse number five, let him ask of God. They give it to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. We are more apt to gain real wisdom during a trial than at any other time in our lives. Letter A, this is going to be quick, and I'll be done. We have to ask for wisdom. We have to ask for wisdom. We have to request it. God wants us to ask for that wisdom. The doorstep, Charles Spurgeon said, to the temple of wisdom is a knowledge of our own ignorance. Say, Pastor, you didn't have to put that one up there. The doorstep to the temple of wisdom is to realize what Charles Spurgeon was saying is to realize that I am nothing and that he is everything. I'm nothing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Psalm 111.10 says. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. Trials reveal our need for wisdom, and as a result, we must ask for wisdom by faith. Romans chapter 4, he staggereth not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Verse number 21, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to, what's the last word? Perform. God's promised it. He can perform it. Letter B, we will receive the wisdom. We will receive it. It's promised to us. Second Corinthians, and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. I want you to know something this morning. That the grace of God, if you will tap into that, is sufficient for all of us. And this week, in these last couple of weeks, I've told more people 
and shared with more people about the grace of God because it is sufficient. As I stand in the hospital room and listen to a diagnosis and watch the patient begin to cry to reach down and hold their hand and to say my grace God's grace is sufficient to stand at a casket of someone as young as 18 years old and to hold the hand and to say my grace is sufficient. To stand at a casket of an unexpected death in the life of a family. And to hold their hand and say, God's grace is sufficient. To those that have called and said, my daughter, my son, my grace is sufficient. But I want you to know something. That as a pastor and as children of God, we have a real tendency to do something that I believe gives discredit to God. Just as we do with the verse, Romans chapter 8 and verse number 28, for all things work together for good, we stop. And we like to say, my grace is sufficient for, the, for you. But there's a whole rest of this verse. Look what he says. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Will I rather glory in my infirmities? Look, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Huh. Boy, oh boy. We just gravitate to that grace. We will get strength. We will get maturity. We will get joy. And we will get rest. Do you see it? And then, through all of that, and how is all that possible? There's that word again. Power. Power. Translated in the Greek as dynamos. Where we get our word dynamite. It is an unbelievable power of Christ that can rest upon us. And then we'll mature spiritually. We will mature spiritually. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to close with this. Many of you know this story. But Horatio uh, uh, Spafford was a wealthy developer and businessman who grew in Christ under the teachings of D.L. Moody. In 1873 he sent his wife and four children to England abroad the Villa de Harve. And he was planning to follow at a later date. At mid-ocean, they collided with another ship. 
rescuers found Mrs. Spafford clinging to a board. She later wired to her husband just two words, saved alone. Mr. Spafford boarded a ship to meet his wife in England. One evening, the captain of the ship came to Mr. Spafford and he said this, we are now passing over the spot where your daughters perished. Mr. Spafford retired to his room and he wrote these words. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way. When sorrows, like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say. It is well. It is well. With my soul. I don't know what you're going through today. But this I do know. That in the midst of the sea. It can be well with your soul. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?